Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host tonight, Nick Pollock, and I am joined by the wonderful, the... Uh, that's all I got. I'm joined by Matt DeBear. Matt, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> wonderful is a, a huge overstatement, um, but I'm doing great. It is... Uh, You're right. That to... was that was probably too nice. You're right. It's good to talk to you. You and I haven't done one of these in... in since before the season i think yeah I, it's been a while i think we did one of the position group previews maybe the secondary or something but yeah yeah it's been it's been quite some time and then i you know started packing up my life and moving and here we are two months later and penn state's five and oh number 10 going to michigan yeah, and we're going to talk all about that game, both in the uh, the macro sense and the micro sense. Uh, but before we get to that, please be sure that you are following and subscribing to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and also, if you haven't before, check us out on YouTube. We post all of our podcasts on there as well. Um, and please, if you are on Apple or Spotify, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave us a five-star review. Um, helps get us into the ears of more people, and that is always a good thing. So... Let's talk about Penn State and Michigan. But before we dive deeply into you know the actual game itself, I want to take a, a step back first. Um, there are a lot of narratives surrounding James Franklin and uh, his tenure at Penn State that only kind of have to do with the opponent, uh, but they are both you know squarely in focus this week. Um, and the first one is one that I've only seen mentioned a couple of places. Uh, I know I saw it uh, from Josh Pate from Two Four Seven Sports. And it's James Franklin's record versus top five teams on the road. Um, and, you know, in such games while at Penn State, and I assume at Vanderbilt as well, um, James Franklin has yet to win one of, you know, such games. Not that winning games like that, you know, is easy by any means. It's like, it's not a common thing to do. You just don't have a lot of opportunities to do it. And it's also difficult, right? Yeah. Um, but I guess my first question to you is like does that actually matter that he's winless in those games i think the short answer is no <laughs> um i i i'm always fascinated by by these james franklin against you know top 10 teams or against teams that start with m on the road or like <laughs> it's it the, the goalpost it feels like it's constantly moving for or what what constitutes an important win or an important game for for James Franklin and Penn State? Um, like you said, how, I don't know how many teams go on the road and beat top five teams anyway. Um, you know, number one, number two, how many chances do you really have? Um, you know, they obviously you know it seems every time they go to Ohio State, that's a top five team. Um, they've gone to Michigan. Um, this might be the second time, maybe the third time that they've played Michigan in Ann Arbor with Michigan ranked in the top five. Um, Iowa last year um, but that's about it and you know this goes to I guess part of part of what his job is is to to get teams that are as good as as those teams but other than maybe 2017 in Columbus in a game that you know they had won until the last f five or ten minutes um, they've they've frequently gone on the road as big underdogs because they are playing top five teams. Um, I think they've been, especially in, in circumstances where they are, are significantly out talented. Um, they've generally been pretty competitive in those games, but you know, all things considered. Um, but I, I don't think it really matters. And I think as far as Penn state, Michigan, this Saturday, October 15th, 2022, it, it really is irrelevant. I think. Um, you know, fa past results do not uh, guarantee future returns, if you will. Yeah, you know, there are many reasons that the Iowa loss last year was deflating. But for me, one of the big ones is that, you know, that game should have been an easy way to put this stupid stat in the rearview mirror. Um, but, you know, that being said, it probably would have then morphed into, you know, James Franklin has never beaten Michigan or Ohio State on the road when they're ranked in the top five. So, um, you know, it would always be something. But, yeah, you know, it's such a weird, like, even the people that like James Franklin as a coach, it, it just feels like there's nothing he can ever do that's enough to prove himself in everyone else's eyes. Like, like it's like you said, it's move, it's a moving goalpost. Every time he does something successfully as a head coach, there's someone right there to say one, you know, why it doesn't actually matter, and then two, what he now needs to do instead to you know now be deemed a success. Like that wasn't good enough. Um, 
So, I mean, like, obviously, it would be great if Penn State could go out and start beating every top five team on the road, like, obviously. But, but like you said, there's not that many chances to do that. And when you do have those opportunities, like, there's a reason those teams are ranked in the top five. Like, they're really good. With Iowa last year, you know, being the exception, they're the clear outlier of the teams that Penn State's faced in that situation. Um, but I, I agree with you. Like, it just doesn't mean much. Like, it's just a talking point. And a way to, you know, continue to find things to pick at about him and his program. Uh, Like, I'll never fully understand this general dislike of James Franklin. Like, he seems like a good dude, but, I mean, whatever. So be it. Uh, Moving along, the one thing, and this kind of uh, accompanies that, uh, if Penn State does lose this game, which obviously, you know, is a distinct possibility, does that affect at all what you think about James Franklin, how he's built the program, the state of the current program, the future of the program at large? Obviously, there's a lot more going on than just one win or loss here, but um, would losing a game like this again and failing in a situation where you really have a chance to you know, raise the profile of your team, I guess, again, would... And feel free to qualify this with, you know, whatever kind of loss you think is possible here. Um, But would losing this game change your opinion of him and the program at large and long term? All that jazz? I don't think so. I think it's um, not to get, you know, even further down the road past this weekend. I think for me, a lot of it is what happens, you know, after that. If, you know, should they lose the game? Um I think, like you said, a lot of it depends on how the game goes. You know, the last two times they've gone to Ann Arbor and there's been fans in the seats, it has not gone well. Um, I have been at both those games. I will be at the game on on Saturday. Um, 2016, it was kind of... So, so what I'm hearing is this is a you problem. It, it, it's very distinct possibility, yes. With the exception, I should note, that I was at the game in 2017 at Beaver Stadium where they ran them out off the, out of the stadium. Um, I missed the 2019 game um, where they hung on at the end, but again, lo- losing the, the plot here a little bit. Um, but I, I think if if they go and play, you know, last year's game or some version of the 2019 game, um, where it's a close, hard-fought game, you know, someone has the ball at the end with a chance to win. Um, then I, th- I think it's you know two great teams, and someone has to lose the game. Um, you know, you're going into a place where, let's be honest, Penn State has had basically no success <laughs> over the years since they've joined the Big Ten. Um, I think the 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 only two wins in the last 20 years in Ann Arbor have come um, with Rich Rod coaching Michigan and during a global pandemic with you know a couple hundred people sitting in the stadium. You know, so it is it is not an easy place to win. I would like to once again say that they were not offsides on that onside kick. Well, you know, do they even, you know, do we have faith they get the ball and, and, and score anyway? Um, but it, it is a hard place to win. Um, as we're going to talk about here in a little bit, Michigan's a, a good team. Um, I'm I'm not sure they're number five in the country good, but um, no, it's, it's I, I expect, and we'll talk about it here as we go along, a good game, close, hard-fought game, physical game, um, where... I'm sure someone will find something that some coach does horribly wrong that costs their team, but I think it's going to come down to someone's going to make a play and someone's not. Um, And, you know, we'll, we'll see who that is, but I I don't think it's really a reflection on, on Penn state or James Franklin and on the micro level, you know, whatever happens on Saturday in Michigan stadium, you know, it has some sort of defining um, narrative about who he is as a coach. So speaking of who he has as coach, there there are always two other main things that people like to point out about James Franklin. Uh, one of those is his team's ability to let one loss turn into two. And we're not going to talk about that right now because they haven't lost and hopefully they won't. But the other thing is that there is a perception that his teams struggle out of the bye week. Um, and I think I saw this on the Collegian maybe where they did a rundown of a uh, what his teams have done out of the bye week. And if you look back, uh, 2021, last year, uh, the loss to Illinois, obviously, unfortunate, not great. Uh, 2019, they actually had two bye weeks. And uh, after the first one, they just smashed Maryland. Um, And then after the second one, they lost to Minnesota, a really good football game. 2018, they lost to Michigan State. 
2017, they beat Michigan at home. That was a very, very fun football game. Um, and then in 2016, of course, they beat Ohio State, which is the game that I'm sure we all remember very fondly. I would say that based on that list alone, I think the idea that his teams struggle out of the bye is probably a little unfair, a little overblown, but you know it's continued to be a talking point. Um, and in three of the last four years, they have lost out of the bye week. So I'm curious where you're at with this. Do you think it's a fair thing for fans to be worried about or to you know to continue to criticize Franklin over at this point? No, I, I think it is fair because James Franklin said as much. Um, yes, the you know, 2016 and 17, you know, are kind of the outliers here, but they're one in one in three in their last four out of their last four bye weeks, including just a horrific loss last year to Illinois. Um, with the the caveat of the Sean Clifford injury and everything else, but um, that was a bad loss. The 2018 loss to Michigan State was a bad loss. That was a weird game, but it was a bad loss. Um, you know, the, the loss at Minnesota in 2019, I think was, was a, a, a hard game. That was a good football game. It, it, it was two, two good teams. I'm not sure great teams, but two good teams, you know, Penn state still won 11 games that year. Uh, Minnesota was a game away from going to the Rose bowl for the first time in like a century or something like that. Um, but you know, they've talked a lot this in the last two weeks about changing what they do both going into the bye weekend and then coming out of it. They, they practiced an extra game. They um, you know, did more best on best. They did more hitting. Um, they still did some of the things they've done previously as far as some of the, um, you know, the, the non-travel uh, roster scrimmage and things like that. Um, but they, they practiced um, through Thursday, I think. I think in the past they've been off Thursday and Friday um, and then through the weekend. Um, while the coaches go out and recruit and whatnot. But I, I think it is it is certainly a thing. Um, and I don't have to go any further than James Franklin saying it is. This is a little different kind of game because of the the opposition. This isn't – they're not coming out of the bye and playing Illinois. Um, or the, the 2021 version of Illinois, I should say. Um, Burt's got them going well. But um, I, I'm, I'm curious to see – and, and I, I want to say that I think the, the opposition and the opportunity is going to mitigate some of the issues they've had. You know, this is, I, I think, I expect a team that's going to come out um, full of energy, um, you know, look at, looking to make big plays. Um, whereas I think they've come out of the bye week in the past as, you know, like they're still on the bye week, <laughs> to, to put it bluntly. Um, so it's, it's, it's a fair question, a fair criticism, um, but I, I don't expect it to be you know really much of a, a factor on Saturday. Yeah, I'm glad you made that point. Um, that that's kind of where I'm at. Opponent you know does play a big role in it too. Uh, even last year, talking about Illinois, you know not only was it Illinois, but it was also raining and it was a noon kick. I think actually no, yeah, it was definitely a noon kick because. I came for that game, and uh, let me tell you, flying across the country from Seattle to Baltimore, and then driving to State College with you know some like early remnants of game day traffic on Friday night, and then waking up to tailgate for a noon kick, all while still on West Coast time, is not a super fun experience. Um, but to, to the point, yeah, there's there's a lot of weird stuff going on for that one. Um, but but like you said, this is this is not that. This is Michigan. It's one of the three games they've had circled on this schedule for years, along with Auburn and Ohio State. Um, you know, even if Auburn did whatever that was, um, I'm not at all at worried about them coming out flat. Not that I think they're going to go to the big house like with their hair on fire and start with a boom or anything like that. But I agree. I I don't think there's going to be the look of a team that's still on a bye week. You know, it's, it's a different animal. You're on the road in a Big Ten game against a big opponent that, <clears throat> you know, if you're Penn State, if you want to win the Big Ten, if you want to do big things with your season, you simply have to beat Michigan. You have to. And I know I say that it's 2016. That's not, that wasn't the case. But you know, this is just a game that you have to win if you're Penn State. Um, so should be interesting. 
but before we get into the more uh, specificities of this actual matchup, um, well, let's take a quick moment here to shout out our wonderful sponsor, Homefield Apparel. You know by now, um, Homefield, they're the best in the business. They make the best shirts, the best sweatshirts, the best crewnecks, all that stuff. Um, yeah, Matt's rocking his right now. Um, looks great. <clears throat> you know, we, we've... We've, we've talked before about, you know, all the cool designs, all the research that they do to make these things that you wouldn't normally see. We've talked about how wonderful their shirts are. Uh, they're not, you know, those 100% cotton gildan tees you're going to get down in McClanahan's. Um, they're wonderful products. But, you know, I don't think we stressed enough that they're wonderful people. Like, we love interacting with them. We love working with them. And we love supporting them however we can. Um, and, you know, as we've said before, Penn State will forever be their all-time leaders when it comes to Big New Saturday. And, you know, lucky for you, if you're someone who has not ordered from Homefield Apparel before, you're in luck because you can use the code ROARLINESROAR, all caps, all one word, at checkout for 15% off of your very first order. And I can guarantee it won't be your last order either. I, I can attest to the, the the it won't be your last order. Um, I think this was two weekends ago now. Um, my, my wife and I ended up on the Homefield site. I, she mentioned it at dinner one night. And we're, we're, we get back home and sure enough, she opens up the phone and I think she ended up with a, a couple more Penn State shirts. But as I've mentioned before, she's a Michigan State fan. So I think she got a couple more Sparty shirts. And then one of my favorite home field things is some of these smaller schools that they have deals with. Um, they actually had just announced today that they're start launching Fordham. Fordham. Um, I think tomorrow, on, on Thursday this week. Um, but but I, I tracked down a, um, a University of Hawaii shirt. Um, because anyone who's ever visited Hawaii should have a University of Hawaii shirt. Nick, you better get a University of Hawaii shirt. And then also um, Northern Michigan University. And Beautiful. really underrated too. The you know the merch that University of Hawaii themselves sells is kind of trash. So yeah, take advantage of that at home field. They, they've got it. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. I got one. Jackie got one. I got a uh, Northern Michigan University t-shirt. I think Jackie got like a University of Detroit shirt. Um I I think that's a really cool thing. You know, some of these smaller schools that don't have, you know, a huge following or a huge amount of apparel options. Um, Homefield does such a great job with that stuff, stuff you're not going to find anywhere for, for those types of places. Yeah, they're awesome. Uh, use the code ROARLINESROAR to get some Penn State stuff or, you know, other stuff. doesn't have to be Penn State stuff. That code will work with whatever you want to purchase. So be sure to do that. Go ahead and visit homefieldapparel.com and get the newest additions to your wardrobe today. Let's dive into the 2022 game here. Penn State versus Michigan. Right off the cuff, statistically oddly similar football teams, which is not something that we've been able to say very often in recent years, You know, given that all Michigan really does and wants to do is run the football, and Penn State has not been able to do that in quite some time. Uh, but now they can. So if you just scan over like the very surface-level highlight statistics here, they look ridiculously similar. Uh, Sean Clifford this year, 85 of 137 for 1,030 yards, nine touchdowns, two picks. Uh, J.J. McCarthy on the other side, 94 of 120 uh, for 1,100, 1,152 yards, nine touchdowns, and one interception. Nick Singleton, 63 carries for 463 yards and five touchdowns. Blake Corum, 118 carries for 735 yards and 11 touchdowns. Obviously a bit of a discrepancy in touchdowns there, but Singleton actually averaging more yards per carry than Corum, which I don't think a lot of people would actually realize. Uh, Parker Washington, Penn State's leading receiver, 20 receptions, 285 yards. Ronnie Bell on the other side, 30 receptions, 390 yards and a touchdown. Um, and even if you go to, you know, like the team level, like Penn State is an offense, 443 yards per game, Michigan, uh, 458 yards per game. Uh, Penn State allows a, a bit more yards per game, 341 as compared to 247 for Michigan. Um, but, you know, remember the fact that Michigan has played, you know, basically no one it makes a little more sense that way. Um, it really, really interesting, like, you know, Spider-Man meme, two, two Spider-Mans pointing at each other matchup because you know if you break it down further like if you ask fans what these two you know defensive strengths are both sides are going to say the secondary um both sides are going to say the run game when if and uh you ask about the offensive line they're both going to say that the lines have been good not great um ask about the linebackers they're both sides are going to say there's talent there but they haven't put it all together like really remarkably similar football teams matt oh for sure um and I think even philosophically, the way Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin want to 
at least this year, I think, <clears throat> you know, big picture, they have different views of, of how you want to win in today's college football, but the way each team is built. And I think the, the personnel that each team has, and I think, um, you know, Jim Harbaugh has done a really good job of creating a kind of a, an identity to what he wants, wants Michigan football to be. And they've kind of, you know, really fine tuned that the last couple of years, especially, um, but on offense, they they want to run the ball. Um, I think Penn State would love it if they could throw the ball and be a little bit more explosive in the passing game. But they don't have that downfield passing threat that like we're going to talk about here in a little bit. So they they rely on the run game. They want to get their big plays from the run game. Blake Corum, Nick Singleton, home run hitters at the running back position, absolutely. Um, I think Penn State has more depth at, at running back. Um, Donovan Edwards is certainly a super talented player, a guy Penn State recruited really hard. Um but he's been banged up. He only has, I think, 25, 26 carries on the season. Um, but they, I, I think Katron Allen and Nick Singleton are, a at this point, a better duo. But again, that's that's the strength of the team. I think they don't ask J.J. McCarthy to do a lot. I think, like we're going to talk about here in a little bit, that's one of the keys to the game is you want to make him, you, know, you want to see what he can do when you put more on his shoulders. They haven't had to do that yet this year. Um, he's a super talented kid. But they haven't had to really lean on that talent a whole lot. Um, like you said, defensively, the secondary is by far the strength of the team. Um, they they want to get you off schedule. They want to create negative plays. They want to they want to force you to do what you're not comfortable doing. In which for both teams, it's throwing the football offensively. Um, so I, I think it's it's a lot of you know, like you said, the Spider Man meme. Um, they go about it a little bit differently. I think if you got into the, you know, the way they run their offense, the type of defense they want to run, I think that's different, you know, strategically or, or X's and O's what they wanted, how they do it is differently. But I think philosophically the, the 2022 versions of, of each of these teams are, are eerily similar um, from a, how they want to win football games perspective. So along those lines then, Matt, uh, just kind of think about what's different about these two teams. What is it that makes Michigan Good. I know we're not saying that. I was saying they're probably not like top five good. It's probably not an accurate portrayal of who they are, at least not yet from what we've seen. But clearly, they're a scary football team. So, what is it about them that you know scares you as a fan of an opposing team? Well, I think the first and foremost, it's Blake Corum. Um, you hit on it. He's got eleven touchdowns this year. He he is he is their their big play threat, um, at least to this point in the season. They haven't been able to consistently have that big downfield passing game. They don't have, you know, the guy that, you know, you worry about taking the top off the defense in the passing game. But Blake Corum is just, he's averaging over six yards a, a, a carry. Um, he's got 11 touchdowns. It seems like every game he's breaking a big play. Um, he had the big um, kind of game clinching touchdown against Maryland on a fourth and one um, right off the bat against Indiana last week. He had, um, I want to say it's his longest carry of the year, the 50-yard carry he had um, to start the game last week. He, and I think what's scary is he's not a secret. It's not like teams have come, in, come into their matchups with Michigan saying, you know, not aware of who he is. They, you know, everyone knows who Blake Corum is, and you game plan to stop him, and he's still, you know, rattling off six yards of carry. Now, other than maybe Iowa, I don't think they've faced a defense like Penn State quite yet. And I think Penn State is set up to have the best opportunity of anyone to date to, I think, take him away as much as you can. He's a great player. He's he's going to make plays. I think we got to be honest about that off the bat. Um, that you're not going to, you know, he's not going to come out of the game with 15 carries for 30 yards. That's just not who he is. He's too good. Their offensive line is solid enough. Um, they have enough ways to to get him the ball in dangerous positions. Um, and I think they're secondary. I think from a Penn State perspective, um, they they are really strong in areas where Penn State is not. And I think when you think about what Penn State wants to do offensively, they want to be able to run the ball, not rely on Sean Clifford to have to win the game. Um, I, I hate the term game manager, but that's kind of what you're looking for. You want Sean Clifford to um, not have to throw the ball 40 times a game. You don't want... It's so dumb the way that people use that label, game manager. That's what all quarterbacks are. Exactly. But I think 
because Penn State doesn't have that Jahan Dodson or KJ Hamler, or even to go back further, a Deshaun Hamilton, Chris Godwin type game breaker at receiver, Mich- Michigan's secondary is talented enough where I think they're going to try and do exactly what Penn State's going to try and do to Michigan's offense stack the box, put, put it on the quarterback's arm, put it on those receivers to get open and make plays. They are, they're going to do everything in their power to keep the guys that each team wants to be their, their playmakers and offense from being the guy they're, they want a secondary guy to step up. And I think that that chess match is, is the scary part. You know, Penn state has, has not shown an ability yet to consistently stretch the field with whether it's Mitchell Tinsley or Parker Washington or Keandre Lambert Smith. Um, whether that's Sean Clifford not hitting those guys or those guys not getting open downfield. Um, just, it's been kind of that lacking dimension. Um, and like I was alluding to earlier, James Franklin wants to be a big play offense. I think that's, you know, well-documented. That's what Joe Moore had brought. That's what Mike Yersich was brought in to do is to, to create a big play explosive offense. And they just haven't been able to do it consistently yet this year um, for, for a variety of reasons. I think it's easy to, to say it's all the quarterback, but I think that it's the passing game as a whole. Um, and where Michigan's strong is where Penn State is up to this point vulnerable. And that's that's not a great recipe on paper going into the game. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I don't actually think that this is the game where we're going to see Penn State's explosive uh, passing game get on track necessarily. I do think we could see it in the run game. Uh, but just listening to uh, Ace and Bender on his interview with Bill on the podcast we posted just a couple of days ago, he was talking about how his main area of concern when it comes to Michigan's defense is that linebacker level. And uh, he was most worried about, you know, if Nick Singleton or Katron Allen can get through the defensive line, their linebackers just have not been super sharp this year. They haven't really had to be necessarily at all this year. But that's an area I think Penn State could really look to exploit with some, you know, some counter stuff where we can get alignment up to the second level and really take advantage of the fact that those dudes are maybe a bit overmatched right now. But but also I think it's a, you know, and again, we'll get to this towards the end of the podcast here, but I, I think this could be a really big game for Brenton Strange. Not that he hasn't already become a super important part of this offense, but this seems like the defense, um, it seems like this situation is just ripe for him to get a lot of work over the middle, not necessarily with huge gains, but, you know, just like six, seven, chunks at a time uh, I think that's a really good you know a really good thing that he can do here so going into this game Michigan currently favored by seven according to ESPN um I don't know where ESPN actually gets their odds from uh I believe it's Caesars yeah okay Caesars yeah, yeah. I believe SP plus has it at uh, like a 32 20 win for Michigan uh last time I checked I think it was a fairly large spread over there on those numbers um Bill C's numbers. I believe this game opened at eight points. Actually, I know our friend Ty Hildenbrand over at the Solid Verbal. I know he's all over Penn State plus eight. Um, I assume he's probably also, you know, pretty confident in plus seven as well. Uh, it's it's just a really interesting matchup, even just from like the betting perspective. Like, it's an interesting line because it's one of those that you glance at and you say, "Whoa, whoa I mean, that's that seems like too much. That can't be right, is it?" But when you remember the fact that you know Michigan's at home, all that stuff they've played. Penn State well in their own building, you can kind of see a bit more rationale for it. So, so Matt, if Michigan is going to win this game, and let's let's say let's say they cover, you know, we can kind of break this down into a couple different layers here if we want. Um, let's say if Michigan is to win and cover, what has happened in the game to lead to that outcome? I think it's the. I, don't, I hate to be obvious, but I think they've they've taken away the run game, and I think they've they've made Penn State one dimensional offensively. And I think they've they've exposed the, the the question or the vulnerability that you mentioned off the top at, at linebacker. I think Penn State's defensive front very good. And their secondary, as we know, is really good. They've got two good, really good linebackers in Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs. Kobe King and Tyler Elton in the middle are are young and um, I, I'm not to not to break off topic too much, but I, I'm fascinated because I think what Michigan wants to do in the running game sets up really well for what those two guys in the middle are, are good at. Um, but I think Michigan with the same thing you were talking about with Penn state with, with the tight end, with getting guys crossing routes across the middle can really put, put the Penn state linebacking 
uh, linebacker core in in conflict. And I think if Michigan wins, they're successful with that. And I think they've avoided having to rely too much on J.J. McCarthy. I think they they follow their script. Um, I've got got a couple cousins who are big U of M fans, and one of them is has pointed out in his opinion that he thinks Jim Harbaugh is is ultra uh, reliant on how he wants to, he wants to win games a very specific way. He's not terribly flexible. He thinks James Franklin is more willing to break script, if you will, or break tendencies to, um, you know, sh- show something else. Whereas as Michigan is going to, you, you know what you're going to get from Michigan. They're not going to deviate from what you've seen a whole lot. Um, and I, but I think to his point, if Michigan wins, it's because they, they are successful at doing what they do, you know, grinding you down, running the ball, play action, not asking their quarterback to have to, you know, hit big play after big play. Um, they, 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 to be short, they, they they do what they do and they're very successful at it. I'm really curious to see how Manny Diaz uh, how Manny Diaz calls this game defensively. Uh, because, you know, on the one hand, it seems like a really great opportunity to bring some extra pressure, right? Like it's McCarthy's biggest game yet. It wouldn't be a bad idea to get some extra pressure in his face. But then on the other hand, you know, I think Michigan, you know, I, it, would, it would open you up a bit more to, like, the screen game, which we know Michigan's never been afraid to run, like, the little tight end screen game against Penn State. Um, and then, you know, you know it, it does potentially expose your linebackers a bit more. And, you know, just last, last week we saw Abdul Carter get pretty exposed in coverage against Northwestern. Um, so not necessarily a matchup you want to see. Like, you don't want your linebackers to be stressed that much. So I am interested to see... Um, and I did mean to mention also before from listening to the podcast with Ace, Michigan starting right tackle is out. Um, uh, it's No, he's not the one that's out for the year. Eric All is out for the year. But the right tackle is out for this game. It sounds like their replacement is basically you know, Michigan's version of Bryce Effner. So somebody who plays a good deal, but uh, probably not ideal to have him as a starter. But when you consider that Michigan's offensive line is definitely worse than it was last year in the first place, it would be massive if Penn State's defensive line, especially Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson, could get into the backfield without needing to bring extra guys. Um, I think that would be huge for this game for Penn State. But for me, if Michigan wins, I think that what has happened is that their offense has gone on several long clock-eating drives, and not necessarily all of them ending in touchdowns, and maybe not even all of them ending in points, but I think Penn State's script to win against good teams right now involves turnovers. Like, it's involved turnovers all year to this point. They've taken the ball away from opponents, and uh, not including the Northwestern game, although I think they did score 14 points off of turnovers in that game. Um, But they have been pretty good overall this year at turning turnovers into points. So if Michigan is able to, you know, not necessarily avoid them altogether, but just not get killed by them... um, I, I think if they can go on several long sustained drives and really wear out Penn's, Penn State's defense, I think that probably means that they have won this game in the end, and it could potentially mean they even ran away with this. Like, I don't see a Penn State blowout in the cards here. I could potentially see a Michigan blowout, though. But, Matt, let's flip this over to a more optimistic viewpoint here. Penn State, um, if Penn State comes out on the winning side here in Ann Arbor, Matt, how how exactly did they get that done? I think it is. I <laughs> I, I sound like feel like I'm about to repeat myself, so I'm trying to find a different way to to kind of explain it. But I, I think it's like we talked about. I, L- listen, I I totally get it. Every time I get asked this question when we're doing a preview or something, my answer is always the same. It's Penn State wins if they run the ball; they lose if they don't. So. <laughs> I understand that it's hard to answer sometimes. I, I think I'll, I'll start with defense. I think that's probably a little bit more more interesting. I think the offensive script is very obvious. You don't, you know, don't throw the ball more than 30 times, you know, establish the run. Um, I think big picture, I think it's really important for Penn State to get up early. Um, Michigan has not been in that position. Um, they, they were in a bit of a dogfight with Maryland, but they haven't had to, to rally. They haven't had to come back from 10 or 14 points down. Um, that Maryland game was either tied. I think they were down three was that was the the biggest deficit they faced. So I think getting getting them behind on the scoreboard would be big because I think that forces them to do what they don't want to do offensively. But I think aside from you know some of the obvious stuff like that, I think like you were said, Nick, if you can get to JJ McCarthy, I saw something earlier in the week that I think he's only faced like eighteen pressures all year, um, and 
I they certainly haven't faced a pass rush like like Penn State can throw with Ideas Isaac, Chop Robinson, Hakeem Beeman, and PJ Mustafer. You know, just the four guys are going to start up front. Let not even getting into some of the depth pieces that they can they can bring um, in the front four. Um, I think if you can get the JJ McCarthy, um, certainly he's he's got the ability to make plays with his legs, but they have they are athletic enough where I think they can, they can keep that from becoming a huge factor, I would imagine. Um, but I think if you get to him, then you start getting to the, the, the Manny Diaz philosophy. You start forcing mistakes. Maybe they hit a big player too, but like we saw at Auburn, they might've hit some of those big plays, but that pressure built on itself and you eventually either force mistakes or that pressure got clocks moving faster and that, Maybe you're not getting pressure on a specific throw, but that internal clock for J.J. McCarthy is moving a little bit faster. Mechanics get a little bit off. Misses an open receiver, you know, makes a poor decision, that sort of thing. Um, but I think that's all done by getting Michigan off schedule. Get you know, keep them behind the chains. You know, don't give up three or four yards on first down. You know, limit them to a couple yards. Don't don't get them in third and short. Um, they are so good, and they've been so good since Jim Harbaugh's been there at converting third and three, third and two. Um, they just, you know, like you were saying, they can put together these big, long drives. And if they don't get points, then they flip the field. And they're putting you behind, you know, in a position where you have to go 85, 90 yards um, to get six points. So I think a lot of those kind of games within the game are, are really important. Um, and then offensively, um, you know, it's like I said, it's the obvious, you know, hang on to the football. It was a, a surprise against Northwestern, but I think, you know, don't turn the ball over. Don't have to rely on a passing game that just doesn't have the pieces to be, um, to be terribly explosive. Um, I think something that can be a bit of an X factor in this game is a guy like Theo Johnson, who is kind of in that Mike Gesicki mode, if you will, of a, a, a non-receiver, but a guy who can stretch the field, a guy who can create mismatches. They don't have a whole lot of that. Brenton Strange is a great player, great tight end, but he's not, you know, the, the physical freak um, like Theo Johnson is, a guy that um, is bigger, stronger, and faster than anyone who's in a lineup across from him for the most part. So I think, um, you know, he's kind of worked his way in after the injury to start the year. The bye week, I would imagine, was really helpful for a guy like him to get um, even healthier um, and, and protect Sean Clifford. Um, last year they were in the game. They were, um, they were, was it, they were up 17, 14 late um, despite Sean Clifford seemingly having, you know, no more than a couple seconds to throw. Um, keep him clean for the most part. Um, he's generally a pretty solid quarterback. He's, he's not going to beat you um, or hurt, hurt you if he's in a, if he's, um, not feeling the pressure, um, whether that is physical pressure or you get behind in the game, you're, you're having to put more in the quarterback. Um, I, and I, I think that's all doable. I don't think we're talking, you know, this isn't a hopeless cause. Um, I know we're going to get predictions here in a minute, but, um, all those things that I think Penn state needs to do to win are things that I think are certainly within the realm of possibilities. I'm really curious, Matt, to see on the offensive side. There are three things specifically that Penn State did a lot of last year, and two of them are kind of interconnected. But there's three things that we saw them do a lot last year that we just haven't really seen them do really at all this year. And I'm curious to find if you think that it's just been a function of circumstance or that they've been kind of waiting for this stretch to diversify the offense a bit more. We've seen them diversify the run game quite a bit. Um like we said, we've seen strides seemingly every week there. They seem to break out something new. But, you know, last year, I think the first thing that I would tell you that they're not doing that they did last year was Sean Clifford running the football. And, you know, we've heard him comment on how the coaches have told him they'd prefer him have prefer to have him healthy, uh, you know, instead of going and trying to gain 12 yards, uh, just take the four and stay healthy, yada, yada, yada. We've heard comments like that all throughout the season. But part of me wonders with a team like Michigan with a secondary as good as theirs and what seems to be a soft secondary layer or a second layer, not secondary layer. Could this be the week that we actually see Clifford take advantage of his mobility more and use his legs a bit more than he has to this point? Oh, I think it's a, a virtual lock. And I think we saw a little bit of last year. Um, I feel like we had this conversation going into the Iowa game. 
are you like on a racetrack or something? <laughs> no, there's a motorcycle <laughs> outside. <laughs> um, but but I, I feel like going into the Iowa game last year, we were having a lot of, you know, is Sean Clifford going to run? And all of a sudden, um, before he got hurt in that game, he was really effective with his legs, both on design runs and then kind of off script, you know, taking what was there with, you know, guys dropping off in big open spaces. Um, I think we'd be naive not to expect that. Um, I think we saw a hint of it against Auburn, you know, on the infamous play where he got lit up. And I think it was Penn State's first offensive series. Um, but they got up and they got into a position where they didn't really need him to. Um, but I think that, that's been a recipe for Sean Clifford since his first day on campus for Penn State is, is his legs are, are a bit of an equalizer. And I think it'd be foolish to to not expect that to be part of the game plan for Penn State offensively. It is a miracle that we haven't heard Matt Millen on a game yet this year bust out the, oh, Clifford's a guy who takes two or three hits before he can really get into the game. Good God, keep Matt Millen away <laughs> from my television forever, please. Like, I, 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 I cannot anymore with him. Um, the other thing about Penn State's offense that they lived on last year that we have... I remember one instance of this play happening this year, uh, but we have not seen the wide receiver, the bubble screens that we saw constantly last year. And I'm, I'm assuming that's, you know, part of the reason that they did that so much was because they couldn't run the football. And those plays are basically a function of like, well, we can't run it. So let's just get the ball to a receiver safely. Like it's basically a, a surrogate for the run game more or less. Um, But they don't have to do that. And I get like, it's not like the highest, percentage chance of getting an explosive play I get um you have better chance if you go downfield yeah but they were really successful when they ran those bubble screens they have a guy like Parker Washington who excels with the ball in his hands so I do wonder if we you know go back to that and see that a bit more this week and in the coming month but now they also did some really creative things out of those sets that weren't bubble screens last year like I remember vividly and then oh well, I guess it's not that vividly because I don't even remember what game it happened in. Um, but we saw them get set in that kind of bubble screen formation with Theo Johnson on one side and Brenton Strange on the other side. And then I assume Parker Washington and then Jahan Dawson standing next to them. And they would set up like they were going to go for that bubble screen. Um, and then like Theo Johnson would, you know, throw his hands up for like the initial block and they'd peel off and be wide open over the middle of the field. Or we had stuff where they kind of set up in that bubble screen look, but then all of a sudden it was an unbalanced line and you had Brenton Strange as an eligible receiver basically standing in like the left tackle spot. So, you know, so to speak, they did a lot of really interesting, um, really interesting things from those sets. And it has me wondering if they have been saving it or I, I mean, I don't know what they would have seen on tape last year that would lead them to not use it anymore. But I know, you know, similar to the Clifford running more question, like, do you think we see some of those sets return, um, whether against Michigan or even just in the stretch in general? Like, maybe they've been saving them for this Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State stretch. Whether it's those specific plays or just just an, an evolution or, you know, something added to the offense, I think... Um, Again, you know, between the bye week and, you know, the, the biggest game of the season so far, um, there's going to be some wrinkles on both sides of the ball. Um, I'm not enough of a defensive, you know, scheme expert to say, oh, you know, they're going to, you know, run more Tampa 2 or, or whatever it might be. Um, but I think between the extra time to prepare for the game and the, you know, further into the season and the quality of the opposition you're gonna see more things you're gonna see you know i go back to um the the wheel route touchdown um to i believe it was brenton strange um against central maybe northwestern against northwestern um i have no no sense of of time but everyone knows the play we're talking about i think um where they they ran it off a look that they had given really consistently both in that game and up to that point. So, you know, obviously, you know, Michigan's watched all five games Penn State's played. They know, um, you know, they know what they want to do. And I think you're going to see Mike Yersich and his staff evolve from some of those things. They do add a wrinkle, add something off of a look that they've done consistently trying to, um, you know, take advantage of, of Michigan, you know, 
kind of thinking they've got them figured out. We saw it in, in 2017 on, might have been the first play of the offensive play of the game where they lined up um, and moved Saquon as, as the, um, the Wildcat back and ran right through the heart of Michigan for 60-some yards in the touchdown. Um, not that we're going to say something like that necessarily, but we've seen that from James Franklin since he's been here. You know, when he, you know, out of the bye week, there are typically wrinkles that you see added um, either just, you know, a brand new set or a brand new look or adding a, a play off of a play, if you will, or a, you know, a secondary route that, you know, plays off of something that, you know, they've shown on film consistently. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Uh, That's a good point. Like maybe it's, you know, maybe it won't be the same stuff that we saw be successful last year, but it, it would be shocking to see them, you know, not continue to evolve. I think that's, you know, something that Mike Yersich has proven to be really good at. Like, I think he's proven that he has a great aptitude for understanding how to use his formations against different defenses. And like, that's something we saw with Joe Moorhead too. Uh, yeah, like it's, I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with. Uh, Matt, before we get into our predictions, um, there was something that came up just this evening here on Wednesday, um, that I think we should mention on our podcast here. So why don't you go ahead and do that? Yeah. Um, I'm sure a lot of you guys remember, um, Bonnie Baju. I'm hope I'm getting his name right. Um, a linebacker for Penn state in the, I think from 2007 through 2010 around there. Um, was posted just earlier this evening on Wednesday evening as we're recording this. Um, he is in the ICU battling um, some side effects or um, fallout from cancer. Um, so they are, are looking to raise some money to help he and his family. He's got um, his wife, Molly, and three kids. Um, so head on over to GoFundMe. If you search, I imagine, Bonnie Baju, his last name is G-B-A-D-Y-U, um, the, the title of the GoFundMe is Bonnie Baju Medical Emergency Needs Your Help Now. Um, they're right, trying to raise $107,000 um, in honor of the 107,000 strong. Um, so go over there. If you can help out, that would be, I'm sure, much appreciated by his family. Um, obviously, the Penn State nation is, is strong and always comes out to um, support their own. Obviously, Bonnie was, was a big part of some of those teams, um, a Big Ten championship team in 2008, um, a really good team in 2009 as well. Um, in the ICU receiving care, um, anything you can do would be much appreciated. So head on over to GoFundMe to, to support that. Yes, and I will drop the link to that page both in the podcast description as well as the YouTube description when we post it there. So uh, just take a look down there and we'll put it right there for you so you can click it, hopefully donate, hopefully help out um, he and his family in this uh, trying time. Okay, Matt. <clears throat> it's going to be a tough game and I think an even tougher one to predict Dict. So I'm going to let you go first because I am a very you know, gracious host. <laughs> um, so yeah, what's it going to be? One of my buddies asked me this week, um, it, I'm kind of infamous among um, some of my group chats and things like that, of, of as the week goes on, I get more and more optimistic. And so my buddy Matt texted me this afternoon and asked, um, you know, how optimistic have I become um, from... Sunday till now, I was, I was not the, I, I, I had no hope on Sunday. You know, um, I, I referenced Penn state's history in Michigan stadium. Um, mine goes back even further growing up as a kid, um, as an Ohio state fan, as a, a naive young child. Um, I went to several Michigan, Ohio state games in Ann Arbor and, and never saw Ohio state win. So my, my personal history, um, in Ann Arbor and really against Michigan in general, um, you know, as a Penn State fan and alumnus now, I have not seen the Nittany Lions have very much success against the Wolverines. Um, I, I, I told you this earlier in the week, Nick. I just think this is a bad matchup for Penn State. I think where Michigan is strong is the exact wrong spot for, for Penn State. Um, I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be an awful lot like the last couple times these teams have met with fans in the stand, both the, the 19 game in Penn State and the game um, last year at in-state college. Um, that really came down to last possessions. I just think between the home field, between just being a little bit more experienced, I think on offense, um, especially at running back, you know, Penn State relies on two freshmen who are super talented. But I think you have a guy like Donovan Edwards backing up a guy like Blake Corum, um, and and the the home field factor I think is just is is really critical. Um, I'd feel a lot different about this game if it was in Happy Valley, but. 
I've kind of been thinking something along the lines of like 24, 14, 27, 16 most of the week. So I'm going to go with with that. I think that the final score of this game is going to be 24-16. I just truly have no idea who is going to win it. Um, but to your point about this being a bad matchup for Michigan, or for Penn State, excuse me, I also think it's a bad matchup for Michigan. Like, I don't think that this Penn State team is a team that they are looking forward to facing. Like, Penn State is a team that can actually run the football. They are a team that can actually get things going in the passing game. Um, you know, Michigan struggled a bit when they played Maryland, a team that could reasonably well run an offense. And, you know, now Maryland has a better receiving core than Penn State. I think they have three NFL dudes in that wideout room. But the difference is that Penn State has a defense that is a lot closer to Iowa's than it is to Maryland's. And Michigan just hasn't had to deal with that. Like, they haven't had to deal with a team that can, you know, get them in tough field position. They haven't had to deal with a team that can actually go make plays defensively and then turn around and back it up with offensive play and vice versa. They haven't faced a team that can go down the field and score and then potentially take the ball away or force a three and out right after. Like, they just haven't had to do that. And I I just think that Penn State's a lot more battle-tested at this point. Like, <clears throat> you know, Purdue, they've had their struggles to this point. They've been a bit snake bit, but they're a formidable team. Like, they're, I think they're still top 30 SP+, and they've earned every bit of that. Like, Auburn, I know it doesn't look great now, but the week since they played Penn State, like, I think they've looked a bit better. Like, they haven't let things truly get away from them. And remember that Penn State still had to go on the road to the SEC to play that game. Like, there's a big difference in the accomplishments of these two teams to this point. And you know that's not Michigan's fault. You play who's on the schedule. And they've done a brilliant job of beating the teams that have been placed in front of them. But once they've started to get into Big Ten play here, they've looked a lot more mortal. They only beat Maryland 34-27. They beat Iowa uh, 27-14. Like, they let Iowa score. They let Iowa move the football into the opposing end zone, which is not something that Iowa's particularly good at. Um, Indiana, they won 31-10, but it was 10-10 and half. Like, they have not been invincible against the Big Ten teams on their schedule, which is the closest, you know, to the, the closest thing we can point to on their schedule to what Penn State is and brings to the table. But the difference is that Penn State is better than all three of those teams. Like, I don't think this is a comfortable matchup for Michigan because if they can't run the football, right, well, let me say, Blake Horm is going to get his on the ground. But they can't if they can't win by running the football, all of a sudden you're not asking JJ McCarthy, who's still a redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore, depending on who uh, what, what is he? With the COVID year, who knows? Yeah, that's true. Uh regardless, a very young quarterback who is still only five yeah, this will be a sixth start as a college quarterback. Um, all of a sudden you're now asking him to go win the game by beating Joey Porter Jr. and Johnny Dixon and Kalen King and Jair Brown and uh, Zaki Wheatley, and Keaton Ellis, and Marquise Wilson, and Daquan Hardy. Like We've talked a lot about how good this Penn State secondary is, and they are going to give up plays now and then, but they are, are also going to make your life hell with every opportunity. Like I don't think this is a good matchup for Michigan. Um, it's not for Penn State either, but I don't think this is like, I don't think anybody in that coaching room in Ann Arbor is excited about what James Franklin is bringing with him, uh, he and his team, into Michigan Stadium on Saturday. Like, I think I, I think it's going to be 24-16. I think there is a very realistic route for Penn State to win this football game. And I think if they do it, actually more than Nick Singleton, I think it's going to be Katron Allen um, that leads the offense. I don't, I don't think Singleton is like not involved by any means. But I think if that Penn State wins, Singleton's probably broken off a couple big runs, but we've seen Katron Allen each week morph into more and more of a true like stick moving presence and i think if they do that he's the difference so screw it penn state 24 michigan 16 why not i mean let's just let's just get it all out there now either way this is going to be a really exciting game that I'm, i'm fascinated to watch this and i'll i'll be watching this game i'll probably watch the first half at home and then um, when it's halftime, I'll get in my car and I'll drive over to the train station and hop on the train up to T-Mobile Park and I'll watch the remainder of that game while on the train and then in the stands waiting for the Mariners-Astros game to start on Saturday. So either way, it's going to be an awesome Saturday or it's going to be a hellish Saturday. And I am uh, excited but also terrified about the possibilities. <laughs> Well, I as I, we made it almost an hour into this without either of us mentioning um, 
our, our respective playoff baseball teams and their um, lack of fortune in game their their games game ones against Houston and then uh, my Guardians against the Yankees. So um, I, there, there's weather coming to New York tomorrow, so I have no idea what game will be played on Saturday between the Yankees and in Cleveland. But um, just it, build roofs. Why is this so hard <laughs> for everyone? Well, and the Yankees have more money than God, so they really should just like put it. You know, I can't believe they can't put like a dome over it in like a week. <laughs> I mean, they probably could. But uh, yeah, much like you, my, my sporting Saturday could go very sideways <laughs> very quickly, um, de- depending on on results in Ann Arbor and either um, Cleveland or the Bronx, depending on on what Mother Nature does on Thursday. Listen, around noon my time today, I was officially able to put Mariners game one behind me. I'm very happy that they had a a game truly full of incredible at-bats against Justin Verlander and an amazing Astros bullpen. Um, I'm optimistic. Luis Castillo going tomorrow, Thursday. I think there's... Very, I'm very much looking forward to watching the Mariners um, now clinch that series on Sunday against the Astros, and we will see your Guardians in the American League Championship Series, of course. And we will take advantage of our, our fancy podcast software to live stream our, our arguments while watching um, Mariners-Guardians <laughs> ALCS baseball, hopefully. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if the Mariners and the Guardians make the ALCS, Matt and I are just going to launch a, a split-off Patreon podcast just to talk about baseball for you know like a, a week and a half or so. It'll be a great time. <laughs> it, it will just be us yelling at each other for you know three and a half hours during the games and like zero analysis, but we'll have fun. <laughs> uh, but as far as Penn State and Michigan are concerned here, um, I think it's probably safe to say we've covered what we think should happen here. Uh, Matt thinks Michigan is probably going to end up winning somewhere in the neighborhood of like six to ten points. Um, and I think Penn State's going to find a way to end up pulling this one out in Ann Arbor and kickstart what could be uh, quite quite an October here. So once again, thanks to everybody for listening. If you're not following it already, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, leave us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify and a comment. If you, could, if you can leave a comment, leave a question with it. We'll happily answer it on the podcast. But you know, also, you know, just follow us on Twitter at RLR Blog. Follow us on Instagram at Roar Lines Roar. We often go on there and ask for questions for different podcasts. So keep an eye out there uh, make sure you check us out on youtube as well youtube.com slash roar lines roar where you can find all of our podcasts as well as uh, occasionally we try to dip in with other videos as well um, i'm going to try to get back into posting more shorts and stuff like that so i'm going to try to diversify that youtube page a bit more um, but you know use the code roar lines roar at checkout on home field apparel get 50 percent off your first order um, i think that about covers it matt do you have any final thoughts here um, I am I am looking forward to like you said this this is going to be a fascinating game it's 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 two teams that like you said Nick are probably not terribly comfortable with um, what the other is bringing into this game on Saturday I'm I'm really fascinated to see kind of how it plays out I think um, Penn State's battle tested you know through through five games they went into um, at least for half a game a pretty raucous um, Jordan Hare Stadium in Auburn. Um, they went into a, a tough environment on a Friday, Thursday night against Purdue. Um, I think a, in a close game, I think I like Penn State's chances. Um, I, maybe I'm just too scarred, but um, no, I, I'm looking forward to to getting together with you guys next week and, and breaking down what actually takes place on on Saturday. And hopefully, we can make sure that Maryland and Rutgers are, or sorry, Indiana Rutgers, uh, Penn State's away remaining away games. Uh, hopefully, make make sure that they do like a crimson out and a scarlet out, so Penn State's just entire away schedule can just be the opposing stadium trying to do a worse color than white for a whiteout. Oh yeah, I I I, I forgot the the maze out on on Saturday. Yeah, um, I I will not be taking part. Truly, a horrible color to want to drape your stadium in like it doesn't look good it just doesn't uh, no no it, it's it, it is not going to be visually appealing <laughs> and like i'll add i understand that i sound like a penn state fan saying like oh nothing's as good as the the white hour first of all white is the best color for a color out like it just it just is like i think the concept of a blackout is really cool but they just never look good on television like it's too easy to spot the things in the crowd that aren't black I don't know why it's less easy to do that with white. I mean, I guess the fact that Beaver Stadium holds 108,000 people helps with that, so it makes it tougher to find the, the outliers. But, um, yeah, so Mission's doing its uh, its P color out. So 
he, cool guys. Great idea. Hope it works out well for you. But you know, it's something, uh, uh yeah, whatever. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, let's get out of here. We need to go start mentally preparing for this game. Um, if you follow us, uh, Twitter at RLR blog, make sure you also check us out post game. If Penn state wins, um, or maybe even if they lose, you know, it depends on the type of loss, I guess. Um, but after the games, we we love to open up those Twitter spaces and start talking with everyone. I won't be around. I'll be at the Mariners game, but I'm sure Bill will be around to, you know, hear everyone's thoughts and you can yell, yell at him, yell at him, do whatever you want with it. Um, but we'll be back with the podcast also on Monday to break down, hopefully, what is the first James Franklin top five road victory so we can finally put that stupid stat to bed. Um, but it's time to get out of here for myself. Nick Pollock, for my co-host, Matt DeBear. Thank you all for listening. Go State.